When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Hello, friends. How are all of you doing? I hope well. Summer's almost here. It's almost the end of the collegiate academic year, and I think those of you that are still in school can agree that a break is very, very much well-deserved. We have a royal update that even I was surprised to read about. A few episodes ago, we discussed Her Majesty's Yacht Britannia, the former royal yacht used from 1953 to 1997. I really suggest tuning into that episode specifically if you want to get a better understanding of royal yachts in general, and also how important Britannia was to the family. Not only was it a yacht used for work and leisure by the royal family, it was also a wonderful asset to the crown, the country, and the commonwealth. A lot of business deals, trade deals, commerce, it really promoted the best interests of the UK, so it was really sad to see it decommissioned in 1997. For years, there was talk about maybe commissioning a new one, giving the royals another one, and bringing in a new era with the Royal Yacht because of the wonderful work that Britannia did, but nothing really ever came of it. Even some really wealthy monarchists donated parts of their fortune upon their death for the sole purpose of commissioning a new Royal Yacht. Even I said in the episode that it was very unlikely that we would get a new one during at least my lifetime. It just didn't seem like it was in the cards. Travel has since changed. The way that the royal family gets around has changed. It's either by air, train, or car. Surprisingly, I spoke too soon. Way too soon. It was reported on Sunday, May 2nd, that a new royal yacht would be commissioned. In memory of the late Duke of Edinburgh, it is reported that the new royal yacht will be named Her Majesty's Yacht Prince Philip. It is to honor him, his work not only within the royal family, into the country, but also with his time spent with the royal navy. Much like Britannia did, the Prince Philip will be, of course, a part of the navy fleet and will be called upon for times of war and will be used as a rescue and hospital ship. Deck plans and other interior sketches haven't been released yet, and news comes out daily about what is happening with this new royal yacht. We really don't know much more about it aside from the fact that it's been commissioned and it's going to honor Prince Philip. The Prime Minister and other government officials have hinted that they really want to put the UK back on the map in terms of shipbuilding. And what a better way to do it than with a new royal yacht. I'm really interested to see the deck plans and interior sketches of what this new yacht will be. Personally, I really like the classic designs that Britannia has. Those really attract me and really speak to me both interior and the exterior. So I'm really curious to see what the end result will look like. 
There were many warm tidings and messages for their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, last week, as not only did they celebrate their 10-year wedding anniversary, but also Her Royal Highness Princess Charlotte of Cambridge celebrated her sixth birthday. Videos and photographs that really hadn't been previously seen by the public were shared across all the royal social medias. And one of the really big highlights was this really cute video. It was, I think, maybe a minute and a half long. It was really short, but it showed the Cambridge family playing on the beach, uh, running through fields and playing, making s'mores, just interacting as what we would really consider a family to interact. They really didn't look like royals. They just looked like everybody else's family. So it was really nice to see this video and Everybody who got a hold of the video shared it across all social medias. It was just, it was cute. It was cute. It was fun. And it showed William and Catherine very much in love. And he was just nice to see. In general, last week was a very good week for Prince William and Catherine. I've been seeing a lot of tabloid headlines surrounding the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Apparently, Prince Harry gave a speech and it went over well. He got apparently a standing ovation, but people are commenting going, if you look at the wide shots, there's not a lot of people there and they were already standing. So is it really a standing ovation? And a lot of people on Twitter are being very critical of the couple, which that's their prerogative. I'm not trying to contribute to any negativity. I really don't report on them much anymore unless it's a big moment because they're not active royals anymore. They've decided to live as private citizens and that's their business. I'm not trying trying to contribute to the negativity. I'm staying away from that. That is <laughs> not what this podcast is here to do. But if you've been seeing a lot of tabloid headlines about them, as I always say, just take it with a grain of salt and really double check your sources to try to get the full story. Don't just take one tabloid's word for it. Really try to understand everything that goes on. Today is Master Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor's birthday. He turns two years old, so happy birthday to him. But we have another anniversary and celebration to talk about. That is what today's podcast episode is. Today is the wedding anniversary of Her Royal Highness the Princess Margaret and Mr. Anthony Armstrong Jones. They got married on May 6th, 1960. In its time, this was an incredibly groundbreaking wedding, and it really helped push the royal family into a more modern and accessible era. Of course, like any other wedding, especially a royal wedding, it was the social event of the season, and in some ways the decade, but it was groundbreaking in other aspects. And today, not only are we going to celebrate this wedding anniversary, but also we're going to talk about this incredibly groundbreaking wedding. Before we get into things, I just want to take a moment to talk about Princess Margaret. She is one of my more favorite royals. I really would have liked to have met her when she was alive. But in my opinion, history hasn't been the kindest to her. And portrayals of her in dramas such as The Crown really don't do her justice. Of course, The Crown is a dramatization. They're taking aspects of of her personality and heightening them to tell a story, to uh, do whatever Peter Morgan wants to do. And he very much says that he's not trying to report 100% fact. These are characters. So the Princess Margaret that we see, though portrayed wonderfully by actresses Vanessa Kirby and Helena Bonham Carter, that's not really her. History has labeled her as this 
wild character, a uh, polar opposite of Queen Elizabeth. She was unruly, an avid partier. She was kind of a diva, cold, unstable, demanding, kind of rude. She would use royal protocol to sort of place herself above everybody else. And a lot of the circle that she hung out with, especially when she was younger, would comment on her behavior and her reactions to things. But one thing I always like to say is everybody reports on her reaction. So what caused her to react that way? What was the inciting incident? In general, I don't think history's been the kindest to her. I would really recommend reading The Little Princesses, 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret, and Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown. They really help portray a different side of Princess Margaret that, of course, we the public wouldn't know about. We only see what the tabloid headlines show and what other celebrities at the time talked about. So... I don't really think history's gotten her right yet. I'm a really big Princess Margaret advocate. I don't think people really, I don't think people are being very fair to her. Of course, I digress. If you want a full episode about why I think Princess Margaret hasn't been treated fairly in history, just let me know. But that's one thing I want to say before the we talk about the wedding is really explore Princess Margaret. She has had a lot of struggles that while in a different situation, there are struggles we can relate to. Feeling lost, feeling alone, jaded by a lover, not really knowing who you are. And there's a lot that can be said there, but again, I digress. I could go on this diatribe for hours, but I would really recommend if you are interested in Princess Margaret to explore some other books about her and really try to get to know her as best you can. It's known that Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden did not have a happy marriage at all. Towards the end, it got quite volatile and toxic, and there are stories aplenty of what they would do to each other. But at one point, they were happy, and they were happily in love. Their marriage brought two children into this world. So at one point, they were happy enough to get married and also have children. So it is sad that their marriage turned sour towards the end, but... We're talking today about the early years and their wedding. They met in 1958, and this was after a few years of heartbreak and recovery after the very public relationship and public breakup of Princess Margaret with group captain Peter Townsend. At this time, Princess Margaret was spending more time with people that the period would dub, quote-unquote, the bohemian lifestyle, people of this bohemian lifestyle. They were writers, musicians, poets, artists, photographers, actors, you name it. She really loved being around them in that energy, and she really loved socializing. Uh, in The Little Princesses, Croffy said that at a very young age, if Margaret was born into a different life and in different circumstances, she would have been a very talented actress and singer. So it makes sense that she would be drawn to these other creative people. Uh, Margaret met Anthony Armstrong Jones at a dinner party in 1958, and things, of course, seemed to go well. No one really knew if he was going to propose or what was going to happen of the relationship. In fact, not many people knew about the relationship, but the couple at least seemed happy to be in each other's company. In October 1959, it's reported that that is when Tony proposed to Princess Margaret. Allegedly, keyword allegedly, 
I don't want to start spreading false rumors here. The princess received word from Group Captain Townsend that he was engaged to another woman. Once she received this heartbreaking news that, you know, he was moving on and marrying somebody else, that was when she officially accepted Tony's proposal of marriage. When it was reported by Clarence House on February 26, 1960, it came as a big surprise to the press, to the tabloid media at the time, and to the public. No one really knew much about their relationship. She was a princess and a socialite, and he was a society photographer. When he went to Balmoral in 1959, it was under the presumption in the press that he was going to photograph the family. And in some ways, dating a photographer was the best cover to keep the relationship private. It was sort of assumed that he became the new royal photographer. The engagement ring that Tony gave Margaret was a ruby surrounded by diamonds. And one of the things that's beautiful about it is it looks like a rose because uh, Princess Margaret's middle name is Rose. So it was just a little cute thing that uh, shows that he sort of at least understood and appreciated her enough to get a ring that looked like a rose. Her name was Rose. It makes sense. And it's a very cute gesture. When everything was announced, the public really resonated with this because it seemed that Princess Margaret was finally having her happy ending. Her sister, now the queen, married about 13 years before this, and everybody rallied behind her with her relationship with the group captain, and the public was really hurt when they both eventually called off the relationship. So it was nice to see that she was finally going to get married and have a happy ending all of her own. The couple was to wed officially on May 6th, 1960 at Westminster Abbey. Two days before the wedding on May 4th, there was a white tie formal ball that was held at Buckingham Palace to celebrate the coming nuptials and the newlywed couple. Some people that were in attendance were the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury, so it was nice to see that they made an appearance themselves. The bridal party was quite large, and it mainly consisted of bridesmaids for Princess Margaret. There really weren't any page boys. Bridesmaids for Princess Margaret include Her Royal Highness the Princess Anne, Miss Angela Neville, Lady Rose Neville, the Honorable Catherine Vesey, Miss Sarah Lothar, Lady Virginia Fitzroy, and Miss Annabelle Rhodes, and lastly, Miss Marilyn Wills. All of these were children of other aristocrats and titled peerage that were close to the couple. There was some controversy surrounding who was the best man selection. So we have some fun gossip about who was going to be Tony's best man. Originally, it was intended to be his friend, Jeremy Fry, but he was arrested and convicted for, quote, importuning for immoral purposes after he had allegedly approached a man for sex. Because one thing we need to remember in this time across the world, not just England, but in the world in general, being gay was not okay. Eventually, the best man ended up being Dr. Roger Gilliant, who was the son of the Queen's gynecologist. There was a lot of family drama surrounding this selection. It's really no secret that Tony and his mother, the Countess of Ross, didn't have the best of relationships, and uh, his mother had hoped that Tony would select his brother, Lord Oxmington, but that didn't happen. He chose someone else, And that really upset his mom, but ultimately it was his day. It was what he wanted to choose. And if it was out of spite, who knows? In terms of the fashion for this wedding, it was a very glamorous wedding. All of the men, except for Lord Mountbatten, wore morning dress. 
and not mourning in terms of a funeral, but like mourning, mourning suit, mourning hat, the, all that stuff that goes with it. I'm not really sure why Lord Mountbatten wasn't dressed in mourning suit. I think he was in a military uniform. I'm not quite sure why, but all sources report that he just wasn't in that um, attire. Princess Margaret wore a wedding gown that was designed by the famous designer that at this time was still avidly working for the royal family, Norman Hartnell. Uh, the gown was made of silk white organza, and it really didn't have much embroidery or lace on it. It was just a white gown that was long sleeve that had a full skirt, and it had the high collar. And it was it's very of the period, being from 1960, but it's still a very beautiful gown. She, of course, wore the, the, the tiara that's now made famous by her, the Pulpmore tiara. It's really tall, really big, and apparently the flowers on it can be removed and worn as brooches. So it's a convertible tiara. She had purchased it at an auction a year prior, and this was really her first time wearing it publicly. The bridesmaids wore simple uh, white gowns that had about like kind of puffy sleeves and a full skirt. And paired with Princess Margaret's tiara, she also wore a diamond necklace that was gifted to her by her grandmother, Queen Mary. When you look at the gown as a whole, including the train, and then look at what Catherine wore for her wedding, you can very clearly see that there are similarities between the two. And it's a, a way that the Duchess of Cambridge was able to, again, pay subtle homage to a very important uh, figure of the royal family. On the day of the wedding, Princess Margaret would be escorted down the aisle by her brother-in-law, uh, His Royal Highness the Duke of Edinburgh. They would arrive at the Abbey by the glass coach, and the ceremony would begin promptly at 11.30 a.m. The ceremony would be preceded over by the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Dean of Westminster, which is no surprise there. Why was this wedding groundbreaking? So we've talked about just history leading up to it and what everybody was wearing and the time it happened and the location. Why was this so groundbreaking? This was the very first royal wedding to be broadcast for television. It was the first one to be recorded and broadcasted for the public. There are actual clips and archival footage that are available on YouTube and in other documentaries. And of course, there are newsreels that have footage, but that was the big thing. You could tune in live on TV and see the entire service. So in today's world, of course, royal weddings are televised. You know, Princess Eugenie's was televised. Uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex was televised. The Duke and Duchess of Cambridge was televised. Um, Prince Edward and Sophie's was it's. It's something that's become very common in today's world, but for the longest time, they were not. They were very large social events, but the public was kept out. But right before the wedding, of course, we have the coronation of 1954, and that was groundbreaking because that was televised and broadcast live in real time, and this was just as groundbreaking in the time. It's estimated that around 300 million tuned in to watch the royal wedding live. This really set a trend for future weddings for big royal, for big members of the royal family as Princess Margaret had televised it. So now for uh, other weddings, there was now this big question of, okay, would it be televised or not? And this was a big push to try to make the royal family more transparent and accessible to the public. So what's the best way to do it? Tele televise the royal wedding. And Princess Margaret really didn't seem to be bothered by that. And... It's one for the history books. Hers was the first. That's why this wedding is so groundbreaking, is because it was the first to be televised. 
For the event itself, there were around 2,000 people in attendance, and these include members of the royal family, members of Tony's family, um, other political and governmental leaders, members of other royal families across Europe, and the friends of pretty much anybody else. At the same time, the wedding coincided with the 10th Annual Commonwealth Prime Minister's Conference at Windsor Castle, so as a result, uh, more Commonwealth leaders were able to be in attendance. These include the Prime Ministers of Canada, Australia, India, Ghana, and the President of Pakistan. As you would expect, this was the who's who of aristocrats and friends and lovers past. I couldn't really find a complete guest list of other royals that were in attendance, but Her Majesty the Queen of Denmark was in attendance as she's not only a cousin to Princess Margaret and the Queen, but she is a direct descendant from Queen Victoria. By all accounts and from archival footage that I've seen, it was a beautiful and wonderful service. Music selections for the wedding include works by J.S. Bach, Handel, Henry Purcell, Schubert, Holst, and many, many more. Um, it was a good mix of traditional church music, music in the classical canon, music that of course was expected, and also music that the couple really enjoyed, and it showcased a lot of English composers in the classical canon, so as someone who is a classically trained musician, it was nice to see a lot of English names be represented. Following the wedding ceremony and procession back to the palace, of course, the couple made an appearance on the Buckingham Palace balcony to wave at the public. This was at a time where there wasn't a kiss on the balcony. That would happen about 21 years later when Prince Charles married uh, Lady Diana Spencer. But following the appearance on the balcony and the official portraits that were taken, there was the traditional wedding breakfast at the palace that uh, was uh, for around 150 people. The couple then changed into more comfortable clothes and they were then off to their honeymoon. They left for a six-week Caribbean tour on board uh, the HMY Britannia. One thing to note, while on their honeymoon, this was where Princess Margaret and Tony would spend time with friend of Princess Margaret, Lady Anne Tennant, and her husband Colin. Colin had, at that time, just purchased the island of Mystique. And while Mystique is now known as this luxury private island retreat that the royals really still to this day love, at this time, it was not that. It was very crude, it was underdeveloped, and they were really trying to figure out what they wanted to do with Mystique. And Princess Margaret fell in love with it, and Colin promised her a plot of land that said, if you want a house on there, this is my wedding gift to you. This land, you can build a house and do whatever it is you want. Not really thinking much of it, but years later, she would hold him to that, and she would have a house on Mystique. Princess Margaret would go back to Mystique quite a few times, especially when uh, Lady Anne Glen Connor, or Lady Glen Connor, the Baroness Glen Connor, lifelong family friend of Princess Margaret, became her lady-in-waiting. They spent a lot of time at Mystique. Princess Margaret fell in love, but Tony really never came back. Apparently, in the chapter about this trip to Mystique, Tony was apparently very miserable and didn't really like it, and as a result, he never came back. Following their honeymoon and all the antics that ensue, the royal couple moved into Kensington Palace apartment 1A, where Princess Margaret would remain for the rest of her life. One thing to note is that upon the marriage, the earldom of Snowden was not granted right away. It was actually a few months, almost a year later, when he was finally given the earldom. 
According to the book 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret, this was actually a point of contingent between Tony and like himself and, and, and everybody. The story goes is that he really didn't want a peerage title. He didn't want to be a part of it. And leading up to the wedding, there were talks about, you know, would it be this title? Would it be a dukedom, a marquisdom, an earldom? What would it be? And he was really against it. And Princess Margaret just kind of respected and didn't really push it. They got married, had their honeymoon, settled into life, and the question of is he going to have a title came up again. And Princess Margaret asked, and they talked and negotiated, dukedoms, everything was talked about, and ultimately a decision was made. It was announced in late 1961 that Tony was to be made a peer by the Queen, and he was made the Right Honorable, the Earl of Snowden, and Viscount Lindley. He was then known colloquially as Lord Snowden, and Princess Margaret was then known as Her Royal Highness Princess Margaret, Countess of Snowden. Parts of the wedding were depicted in season two of The Crown, and visually they got most of it correct. We of course see the proposal and the courtship of Tony and Princess Margaret in season two of The Crown and Margaret coming into her own. And then we see things leading up to the wedding, ultimately her leaving to go to the to go to the Abbey. Of course, Vanessa Kirby is significantly taller than Princess Margaret. And so it, the costume department had to do uh, a really good job to sort of match the silhouette and scale of everything so that it still, everything still looked very much like Princess Margaret. Of course, a lot of the drama was exaggerated because what Peter Morgan's trying to do is what he wants to do with it. But, you know, it is make note that we do, we do get to see this wedding represented in pop culture through the crown, and visually, they got a lot of it correct. So, good on them, good on them. In its time, this was the wedding of the decade, and subsequently, the wedding of the century in some respects. Being that it was the first to be broadcast on television for the greater public to see. It showed a a royal princess marrying a commoner and it really helped bring the royal family into this new era of course we know the 60s in england was a very much time of social change and social upheaval and yes uh tony his mother was a countess he was still very much interacted with the aristocracy and the peerage class but by all accounts he didn't have a title upon marriage so in some ways he still classifies as a commoner Princess Margaret in this time represented the modern woman, and she was still a very big style icon. She was really trying to break away and do her own thing as a royal because she knew that as, you know, the queen had her heir and a spare, and she knew that she was going to be just falling in the pecking order, falling in the pecking order, and so she needed to find a role for herself. And seeing her get married and have her have a happy ending really resonated with the public and the world as a whole. Of course, not soon later, this wonderful happy marriage would give way to this volatile, toxic, and unhealthy union, ultimately resulting in a divorce in 1978. I personally really enjoy researching and spending time with Princess Margaret. I'm really curious to get to know more about her. She's this wonderfully flawed and damaged character who is very unique. And as I've already said previously, history hasn't really been the kindest to her. She had a life that most of us can only dream of. And yet she enjoyed a lot of really mundane things that we wouldn't think she would come to enjoy. 
If you'd like more episodes about Princess Margaret, or just anything related to her, please let me know. I'd be happy to oblige, as she's one of my more favorite royals. But today would have been the 61st wedding anniversary of Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden. Sadly, both of them are no longer with us. Princess Margaret passed away in 2002, and Lord Snowden, I believe, passed away in 2017? 2016? 2017? I would recommend if you want to see parts of the wedding that are still accessible, head over to YouTube, or just do a quick Google search. You'll come up with a whole barrage of newsreels and other footage to really get to see what this day was like. This was a landmark and historic wedding, as of course it was the first royal wedding to be broadcast, and it really set the tradition for future weddings down the road. And that, dear listeners, is our way of remembering and celebrating the wedding of Princess Margaret and Anthony Armstrong Jones. My sources for today's episode are Wikipedia and the books The Little Princesses, 99 Glimpses of Princess Margaret, and Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast today. If you'd like to recommend topics for future episodes or let me know how I'm doing and how to improve the podcast to make it the best it can be, drop me a line over at britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com. Any and all suggestions are welcome. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast and other events happening within the royal family, you can head over to Twitter and follow me at fanatic underscore royal. I do my best to post regularly and interact with all of you as best I can. If you want to donate to help support the podcast, there are links on the Anchor homepage and on the Twitter homepage. Any and all donations are Uh, very much appreciated. The link on Anchor is for monthly donations, but if you don't want to do that, the link on Twitter is a PayPal link for a one-time donation if you feel so inclined. You can set whatever amount you want, and I am very much appreciative of anything you can do. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and more to rate, subscribe, share, and review. The more you do that, the more people can join the podcast and the family can continue to grow. Have a great rest of your week, stay safe and healthy, do something nice for someone today, and I'll see you in the next one.